Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 2. We're in a series right now of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And to be honest, we've already covered the Elisha part because he's gone. He's been translated up to heaven. He has been raptured out and taken by the Lord bodily into heaven. And all that is left now is his student, his protege, his disciple, Elisha. And Elisha has now picked up the mantle and is now dealing with the fallout and starting the brand new ministry. And we've already watched as Elisha has dealt with the professional preacher. Remember that he had dealt with the Pharisees of his day. Fifty Bible deniers who denied the truth that his master had ascended up to heaven. And they denied the truth that the Spirit could keep him. Remember they were all uh, going up to Elisha and said, Can we send a search party? We have fifty men that are ready to search the hills. Ready to search the valleys. Just in case God in his Spirit was lifting Elijah up and then dropped him somewhere. And They had the idea that Elisha was up on a mountain just laying there saying, help me. And they said, we don't want to leave your master there. Can we go search? And they begged him and begged him and begged him. And again, why? Because they denied basic truth. They were the type of uh, preachers that had denied miracles, denied the spiritual. And so for them, they could not just process what they had saw. They had witnessed, uh, even, albeit afar, but they had witnessed Elijah being taken up And yet they couldn't believe it. And they denied basic truths from the Bible. Well now as Elisha is dealing with them. We can see that Elisha now with the newly minted. Carrying the mantle of Elijah. Having the power of God filled with God's spirit. Now has to immediately deal with two other things that must be addressed. And so if you don't mind let's pick it up in the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 2, and we pick up the story starting at verse number 19. The book of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 19. (laughs) We see it says, And the men of the city, dealing with Jericho, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, I pray, behold, I pray thee, The situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, But the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there. And said, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. And out... And said, go, uh, said unto him, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked upon them 
and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tare forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is repeated throughout the Bible thousands of times? And in Second Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1, the saying, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And with this, we're going to deal with, deal with two different subjects that are dealt with here. We see Elisha and the worthless water and Elisha and the scoffing students. And so with the Lord's help, we're going to see this concept here of dealing with God's word, thus saith the Lord, and two different aspects. If you're subtitling or <laughs> want a cute title to go along with it, Elisha and the worthless water and Elisha and the scoffing students. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the day that you have given to us. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm thankful that we could stand upon your promises, that your word is faithful and true, and that we could trust it, we could depend upon it, we could stand upon it. We also know that we have a responsibility to obey it. And that we know that as we obey your word, it brings forth blessings. As we obey your word, it brings forth miracles. But when people scoff at your word, it brings destruction. I'm asking, Lord, that as we go through here, that we would stand upon your word. That we would trust your word, depend upon it. Let this be a help to folks to depend on your precious word. Again, I need you so bad today. I cannot trust my own. Fill me with your precious spirit now. Direct my thoughts. Direct my words. Let it, everything that I be said be directed and pleasing to you. And that you help your folks today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Elisha has inherited the mantle of Elijah. That he has asked Elijah... And as a prayer to God that I want a double portion of your spirit. And we took time to explain that. That oftentimes people just say, I just want a little bit of what someone so has. And I want a little bit of what they have. And generation to generation, it becomes weaker and weaker and more anemic. And God wants to do even more with us than the previous generations. He wants to do even more. And so this idea of having a double portion of God's spirit is going to be played out. We know that what is recorded in God's word is that Elisha or Elijah was recorded to have seven major miracles performed that was recorded. And his protege Elijah was used more than him and he was able to see double that. He saw 14 miracles. And as we go, he is now going to be challenged. Immediately, he's going to be put to the test in two different locations with two different groups of people. The very first thing I'd like to show you as we travel with Elisha during this time is we see the people of Jericho. The people of Jericho were seeing this idea of this worthless water. Now, as he goes up to Jericho, notice with me, if you don't mind, as the men begin to address him. <coughs> We see in verse number 19, And the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the <coughs> ground is barren. 
As he made his way up to the city of Jericho, we could see that there's a curse upon the city. Remember that when God had used Joshua to destroy the city of Jericho, that he also used Joshua to place a curse upon the city. And that if it was ever to be rebuilt, there would be a curse upon it. And now we could see it enacted just like God had told Joshua about it, that this city, it's pleasant, it's a good location, but the water is corrupted. You can't drink the water. The water, if you were to drink the water, it would bring death. If you were to bring the water, it wouldn't satisfy, it would be poisonous. So could you imagine in a desert type scenario, having a city there that's dependent on water, but the people can't drink the water. You can't run a city that way. I think of Phoenix, Arizona. The Phoenix, Arizona is a long ways away from any kind of water source. It's in the middle of the desert. You ever wonder where a city that is the fifth biggest city in America, 5.5 million people. At one time when I was living there, 3,000 people moved into the Phoenix area every day. How does a city, the fifth biggest city in America, survive with no water source? Well, that's a big logistical deal. By the way, what they do is they have to pump it in from the Colorado River, from where the Grand Canyon is at, thousands of miles away, in elevation and a distance. Uh, the um, Grand Canyon stands about 5,000 feet in elevation difference, so they could run it downhill. But to drive it, it is about three hours away. So they have to pump in all the water for the city of Phoenix three hours away, just regular driving. And if that water is poisoned, if that water is corrupted, could you imagine what would happen to a city like Phoenix? With no other water source to depend upon. It would devastate it. So this is what you have in the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho. It's water is polluted. It's water is corrupted. And without it the people of the city will die. Or they're going to have to resort to something of traveling miles away without a vehicle. To transport water. Which is unfeasible. So here they need a miracle that no one else can do. Now, of course, the professional preachers are here. And what they could do is they could explain away the water. They could explain away the curse. They could say it wasn't of God, it's just a natural occurrence. But you know one thing about all these preachers who explain away the miracles of the Bible? Is that they cannot bring a miracle themselves. Sure, they could explain away this and they could explain away that. But they give no solution of how to fix it. When these people try to explain away the miracles of the Bible. They try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that happens is that they leave people hopeless. Because we need a God who can perform miracles. We need a God who could hear and answer prayers. And to strip that away, all you have is hopeless people. And so they had 50 professional preachers at that location. And none of them could help. They needed a man who could hear who could reach God and could see miracles happen. And so forth, notice what happens. Verse number 2. Sorry, verse number uh, 20. And he said, that's Elisha, said, Bring me a new cruise or new pot, a new container, a pitcher, and put salt therein. And so they brought it to him. So, can you imagine this? All right, I'm going to heal your water. I'm being directed by God. You give me a pitcher, a cruise, and I want you to fill it full of salt. 
Okay, how's that going to work? How is it that you're going to take salt and pour it into water that's already poisoned? How is that going to work? Well, there's no natural explanation. You know, sometimes God, in order to test you, will give you something unusual to do. He wants to see if you're willing to obey. He wants to see if you're going to challenge him and say, God, that doesn't make sense. Or are you going to say, all right, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'll, I'll obey you. That's what he's putting forth. He's trying to see if these people will obey the word of the Lord. Will they obey the promises, the things that God has given them to do? And so they do. Bring me in a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to them. It's interesting, I almost want to go run and do a sidebar on salt and how important salt is. Do you know, according to statistics, that salt itself has over 14,000 different uses? Entire wars have been fought over salt. Even salt itself is a miracle. Salt, of course, is made out of <coughs> sodium chloride. Chloride is a deadly yellow-green gas that has a strong suffocating odor. If you were to just eat a bunch of chloride, you would die. It's also made of, <clears throat> excuse me, of sodium, which is an unstable metal that is, uh, uh, <clears throat> has the capability of just suddenly bursting in flame. And it is also poisonous. So something that's unstable that could just blow up, another one, a poisonous gas that could kill you, you put it together and it forms an ingredient that our bodies need naturally that is good for us. Two poisonous materials form together to make something that is necessary for life. Isn't that amazing? What God can do and how God could put them in there? As another gee whiz note, according to the book of Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, that every sacrifice, every sacrifice that was given to God according to Levitical law had to have salt on it or it would not be accepted. It's an important study. Just an interesting thing. If you ever want to go do a random study, do a study of salt in the Bible and see the emphasis that God has placed in it. For the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. But it's just interesting. He takes a cruise, fills it with salt. Then notice what he does in verse number 21. And he, Elisha, went forth to the springs of the water and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord. So here we could see this is not Elisha's word the people are depending upon. It is the word of the Lord. It is God's word that the people are standing on. And because of God's word, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. So we could see here that it was the word of God that made the effect. It was the word of God that makes things clean. It is the word of God that when you place the word of God at the source, it can heal all corruption. You just got to get the word to the source. You got to get it to the very heart of the problem in order for it to be filled, healed. What a great principle we understand here. What do we understand? That when you obey the word of God, no matter how fantastic, no matter how absurd you may think it is, when you're willing to obey God's word, God will bring blessing and he can perform miracles. 
as we just trust in God's word. So we need to stand on God's promises. We need to depend upon God's word. We need to trust in God's word. And God promised that as we obey him, as we take those to heart, God will give us blessing and we can see miracles. Just a simple truth. So here's Elisha seeing this miracle performed in Jericho, that it is God's word that goes forth. God's word and his people are obeyed. We see the picture of putting it at the source. And when it's put at the source, it heals everything that flows out. Just a simple principle. But it is not done. We see Elisha go to Jericho and he deals with the worthless water. And it is by God's word that things are healed. It is by God's word that the blessings happen. It is by God's word that miracles occur. But now we come to a different site. Notice as we come not only to the people of Jericho, but we now address the scoffers of Bethel. The scoffers of Bethel. Notice in verse 23. And he, that's Elisha, went up from thence unto Bethel. So here he travels to Bethel. He has dealt with the professional preachers. He's worked with the worthless waters. And now he comes to the scoffing students. Now remember, he's already dealt with these people before, earlier in chapter 2. Remember as he was traveling with Elijah, (coughs) that Elisha had met these uh, prophets Here at Bethel. And they went up and said. Hey I heard your master's going up today. And they scoffed at him. And they laughed at his master. And remember that Elisha did nothing. He walked away. Now as they walked away. The other uh, students here were laughing. Sure we got him. He couldn't answer us. He just walked away. Elisha just knew he didn't have the power to deal with them. In order to deal with the scoffers, you must have the power of God. In dealing, in dealing with folks who doubt and laugh at God's word, you have to have God's spirit. You can't deal with them yourself. And so now he makes the return trip. And as he deals with them, sure enough, these people are scoffing. Now remember, Bethel is an important place. This was the place where God had met with Abraham. This is the place where God had met with Jacob. This is the place where God had met with Isaac. The word Bethel itself means the house of God. It was the place where you could meet with God. In fact, that's what God had designed the church to be. A place where people could meet with God. But instead, Bethel, instead of being a place where you could meet with God, it has been corrupted. If you remember your Bible history that you had a man who was the king of Israel by the name of Saul. After King Saul, you had the man after God's own heart, King David. After King David, you had King Solomon. And after King Solomon, he had a son by the name of Rehoboam. And because Rehoboam had made unwise choices and had listened to unwise counsel, his foolish decision had ripped the kingdom in two. And so now the kingdom of Israel, instead of being united, was broken up into the northern kingdom of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah included Jerusalem, and they continued to try to serve God in the way that God had formatted. However, when Rehoboam became king, he realized that in order to serve God, as the Bible said, the people would have to go to Jerusalem a couple times a year, at least once a year. And he couldn't have that. He doesn't want people going to the enemy. And so what he did is he created a golden calf. 
And he placed it at Bethel. And declared, here is the gods that delivered you from Egypt. And so instead of people traveling to Jerusalem, they traveled to Bethel. Rehoboam, in order to gain uh, all of the kingdom unto him, erased the God of the Bible and gave them with another God. They said, oh, we serve God. But the God was in quotes. But they didn't serve the God of the Bible. And he polluted their religion. He changed things over. He switched away their holy feast and their holidays. He put a new calendar out. He put new people in charge of worshiping God that God did not order and God direct. He polluted and changed everything. And yet said God's pleased with it. And God was not. In fact God was not so pleased with it. That he would often call and direct a king on how well they're doing. By the statement that they followed in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Naboth. God was so despising what Jeroboam did in corrupting the religion. That he had made that as identifying mark. How evil is that king? He followed in the sins of Jeroboam. What is the sin? By warping and changing religion, warping and changing worship of God into something that God never intended. Do you understand that God never does not accept all worship? He does not. God says, they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible speaks about that repeatedly in the book of John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman of the well. They that worship God must. That same word must is used the chapter before in John chapter 3 where Jesus said, Verily, verily, ye must be born again. That word must means that it's an imperative. There is no other way. And the Bible says in order to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit. That means you have to be saved. Unsaved people Cannot worship God. I know that flies in the face of things that are done today. But unsaved people cannot worship God because they don't have God's spirit. Only God can do his own work. The second requirement is that it must be done in spirit and in truth. Meaning if it does not match up with the Bible, God does not accept it. That's a big deal. Let me give you an example. The Bible refers to music in some form 756 times. Almost 800 times. It says quite a bit about the music. It says (laughs) what good music is, what bad music is, the purpose of music, what is pleasing to God. And the Bible says quite a bit, so much that every born-again believer should be able to explain from the Bible what is pleasing to God and what is not. You understand that today they have something called contemporary Christian music. And I'm going to be direct. That is false worship of God and God is not pleased with it. Not at all. He that worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And yet today people use contemporary Christian music to worship God. And God does not accept it. And we could take a full study, and we will next year sometime, on music. Now, I know that people use music and it's personal to them. But I'm giving a specific example of how worship is corrupted 
an example of how things are switched. That people's theology gets messed up. People's view of God gets messed up. And what's even worse is that there was a seminary, a Bible school, a Bible institute that was training men and women for the ministry that was originally started by Samuel at one time. But instead, the liberal professors got involved and they are teaching people that miracles can't happen. And they begin to instruct the students that the Bible is not true. And so guess what is a result? The students don't believe the word of God. The students don't believe that the Bible is true. They don't understand that God (laughs) has said things in his Bible. And so they denied it and taught unbelief. And what we see here is a principle given throughout the Bible dealing with the idea of next generation. The first generation of Christian, meaning a Christian who comes to know Christ as his Savior and makes a decision to follow the Lord for himself, a first generation Christian has convictions. The second generation of Christian has preferences, or sorry, excuse me, has beliefs, and the third one has opinions. The third generation. So the first generation of Christians, they said, this is what the word God says, and I believe it. The second generation, meaning they, mom and dad was a Christian, and I've been exposed to Christian things. They said, I have beliefs. This is what I believe to be true. It's not as rock solid as convictions. But then the third generation, they have opinions. Well, this is my opinion, and you can have your opinion, and you can have your opinion, and this is my opinion on the matter. And it is watered down. Every generation must learn and choose to follow God for themselves. There is always this idea here that the next generation will go further away than the previous. Do you know that that's happening even in our own country? Every single Bible college has apostatized at one time. Did you know that Harvard and Yale used to, was started off as Bible schools? Can you imagine going today at Yale and saying, hey, I want to have your Bible program like you used to have. You would not get it. Brown University used to be a Baptist Bible college. Now today it is one of the most liberal colleges you have. Every Bible college will apostatize if it is not attached to the word of God and truth and done God's way. So this is what you have here. You have a local cemetery, I mean seminary here, that is teaching students that the Bible is not true. They're teaching students that the word of God is not correct. They're teaching students that miracles can't happen. And they explain them away. And so of course you're going to get a generation of students who do not believe the Bible. And not only not believe the Bible, they begin to scoff at the Bible. Notice what happens in verse 23. And he went up from thence from Bethel. And as he was going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. So here's a scene that most people put in their head. So what happens is you have Elisha who travels. And as he's traveling, the students, people believe, they have in their mind that little kids like this come up and said, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Could you imagine the scene? But that's not what the scene is. When it refers to little children, it's not talking here about little kids. It is referring to what we would call college age kids. 
Let me give you an example. In the Bible, it refers to Isaac as a little child, and he is 28. In the Bible, it refers to Joseph as a little lad, and he is 39. It refers to Rehoboam as a little child, and he is 50 at that statement. So we're not talking about little kids. We're talking about people who are young, but they are old enough to make up their own mind, and they have made a decision to scoff at God's man, and not just at God's man, at what God had said. Now, normally, people put the emphasis on the bald head. So what they imagine is that they go up to the preacher, here's Elijah. He's not very handsome. He's not that good looking. But he's got a bald head. He's got, he's got a feature here and everyone's looking at him. And so some people put the emphasis that they're yelling at him. Says, go up bald head. Go up bald head. And they put the emphasis that they're making fun of the preacher. But that's not where the emphasis goes up. The emphasis is, go up bald head. Go up bald head. Why is this a big deal? Because Elisha had been telling everyone... That my master ascended bodily to heaven. And according to the promise of God, he's coming back. And so everywhere he goes, my master ascended up bodily to heaven. And one day he's coming back. By the way, we believe the same thing. That we believe that Jesus bodily went up to heaven. And by the promise of God, he is coming back. That's what we're looking forward to. And so what these scoffing students do is they're putting emphasis on the go up. You said your master went up. Why don't you go up? You said your master went up to heaven. Come on, show us. Fly, boy, fly. And they're not making fun of his bald head as much as they are scoffing at God's word and the message of the messenger. And they're scoffing at him. And they're making fun of him. And God does not take that lightly. May I show you an example of what the Bible says about this? Hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 3. The book of 2 Peter and chapter number 3. Now again, this is a big miracle. Something that we haven't seen. I mean, unless you've seen something different. Have you ever seen someone bodily go up to heaven? Just open up his arms and go straight up? Have you ever seen someone carried in a chariot of fire and be ascended up to heaven? Now remember, the teachers, we've already covered them, the professional uh, preachers, they went to go hire 50 men to go search for the body of, of Elijah because they were convinced that God dropped them somewhere along the way. I got you. I, oh, sorry. And so if the professional preachers, the Bible college teachers are scoffing and saying that God dropped them. What do you think the students are turning out to be? They're scoffing at God's word. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. Each generation gets weaker and weaker and weaker in their belief. Notice what the Bible says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. Dealing with the same exact subject that we're dealing with. Notice with me in verse number 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, knowing this first. That's a fancy way of saying, hey, this is important. Knowing this first. That there shall come in the last days scoffers. 
Now, is that true? We're in the last days. Are there scoffers? Are there people that hate the Bible? Are there people that say the Bible's not true? Absolutely. Do you know that the Bible even knows their motives? Notice again in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. Here the Bible even decrees why they are walk, uh, scoffing at the Bible. It's not because the Bible doesn't have evidence. It does. It's not because the Bible doesn't line up with science. It does. The reason why people will scoff at the Bible is because they don't want the Bible to tell them how to live their lives. They don't want the Bible to be their authority. They don't want the Bible to tell them what to do. And so in order to get rid of the Bible, they have to somehow convince themselves that the Bible is not true. And so the only reason why people deny the Bible is because it doesn't match up with what they believe. Notice as it goes on in verse 4. And saying, these scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? This is the same thing that people are denying. That Elisha has been saying, my master ascended to heaven. And one day, as God promised, he's coming back. That's what we say. That our master ascended to heaven. And one day, by God's promise, he's coming back. And the scoffer said, oh yeah? Where's he at? You guys have been saying this for 2,000 years. Where is he at? That's exactly what they told Elijah. Hey, go up, bold man. Go up. Come on, fly away. We're waiting for you. Come on, your master did it. How come you can't do it? And they are scoffing at God's word. They are making fun of God's word. They're not as much making fun of his bald head as they are the message of the messenger. Notice as the Bible goes on in verse number 4. And saying where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were. From the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of. That means they're stupid on purpose. That by the word of God. Here we have that. By the word of God. They're denying God's word. And what God had said. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished. We could see here that God is going to keep his promise. But the scoffers deny the second coming of Christ. They deny the creation and they deny the flood in order to deny what the Bible says. This is a big deal. We know that the Bible goes on and talks about the marks of apostasy in the book of Jude and verses 8, 10, and 11. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but it is exactly what these scoffing students are doing. So again, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, and we can see these Bible college students. They're not elementary kids. These are 20-year-old plus that are looking at Elisha, and because of their Bible college professors, because of their teachers teaching them that the miracles aren't true, the second generation has learned how to scoff at God's word. And so notice what occurs. And he, that's Elisha, turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, let me remind you, this was God's man under God's spirit. This wasn't Elisha and his own power. But God is teaching a lesson here. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood. And tear forty and two children of them. And he went thence from Mount Carmel. And thence he went to Samaria. So here's the story. You have Elisha 
the bald preacher. He may not be that good looking. He may not be that (laughs) pleasant to look at. But he was God's man and he carried God's message. And he was telling everyone that my master ascended up to heaven. And because of that, God has put his power on me. And he is coming back like my God had promised. They didn't like his message. So they made fun of his message. Go up, bald head, go up. And Elijah, you could almost see him say, you know, forget you guys. I'm not going to deal with you. And as he's walking away, the spirit of God moves him. And he turns around and says, I curse you. You're done. Bye. And two she-bears came out of the woods and just tore into them. Forty-two of them just ripped apart. And again, we see a principle. The first principle we saw is when the Bible is obeyed, it produces blessing and even miracles. But when the Bible is scoffed at, all it does is bring destruction. Just a simple principle. To obey God's word or to disobey God's word. You know what is amazing? And if you could forgive the personal testimony. I've been preaching. God's allowed me to preach for over 20 years now. And in the 20 years, it is amazing dealing with folks. Three different locations that I've been uh, for a length of time. And to watch people that I look at and said, If you would have obeyed me years ago, your life wouldn't be like this. That's the biggest heartbreak of the ministry, by the way, is wanting more for people than what they want for themselves. And to tell the people simply, this is what you need to do. Just read your Bible. Be faithful. And God will bless you. That's easy. Just do what God says. Sometimes I'll give hints. Sometimes I preach. And watch people. They say, amen, that's good. And do nothing with it. And then their lives get ruined. They said, why is my life this way? Well, if you would have obeyed years ago, you wouldn't be that way. I've even now been here long enough that I can look at people and say, if you would have listened to me years ago, things would have been different. Because obeying God's word brings blessing. Scoffing, denying, disobeying God's word brings destruction. An easy principle. As for us, we need to be a type of people that we are prepared to obey God's word. No matter how silly it may be. How are you going to heal the waters, Elisha? Well, let's get a cruise and fill it with salt. What is that going to do? Nothing. We just want to see if you're going to be obedient. Sometimes you may hear things and say, that doesn't make sense. Or it may be something, that's something I don't want to do. But if it's declared from God's word, you should prepare to obey every bit of it. Because obeying God's word. Now I'm not saying obey pastor's word. I'm making sure. I'm very clear. Obey God's word. When you obey God's word, it brings blessings and even miracles. But when you deny God's word... You decide, I'm not going to obey God's word. That's not for me. It's going to bring destruction. A simple principle that unfolds all the time. Now you may say, I may be one of those cases where I should have listened years ago. Well, you can't do anything about the past. But one thing you could do is say, from right here, I'm going to do my best to obey God's word. 
I'm going to obey the principles given by the Bible. As the preacher preaches the Bible and it's clearly said in God's word, I'm going to try to obey it and you will see blessings and even miracles. But when the preacher preaches and you say, that's nice. He's really letting so-so have it. Ah, that's not for me. You're going to heap to yourself non-blessings and even destruction. Just the simple principle of what will you do with God's word. Obey brings blessing. To disobey brings destruction, heartbreak. Start from where you are and make a decision that if it's in God's word, if the principle is being declared, I'm going to obey it. And you'll be better off for it. It'll be one of those things that years from now, instead of saying, oh, I watch these people who disobeyed God's word and we're looking at their life and if their lives would have been different if they just would have obeyed, wouldn't it be a better testimony to say, hey, I obeyed God's word. Look at where I am now. It's because I said yes to God's word. Obeying God's word brings blessings and even miracles. What are you going to do concerning God's word? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.